And for those who actually stick to it, they will gain weight for a while, but then they will suddenly start losing a lot of weight. And they will drop way below what uh, they gained when they started and then keep losing weight. And so there's some sort of repair going on and I don't ascribe it to a meat-based diet at all. I ascribe it to having sufficient calories for a sufficient amount of time. Hey guys, what you'll be hearing in the following is our third really epic Q&A with the Viking of fitness himself, the Norwegian strength coach Berge Fagerli. And in this one, we'll be talking about nutrition and we'll be answering your nutrition related questions. We'll talk about optimizing and resetting hunger and satiety signaling, optimizing your diet for both body composition and longevity, and lots of other cool stuff. If you'd like to get your questions to be answered in a webinar like this in the future, or just be part of the really cool discussions we have in our little community, join the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group, linked in the show notes below, and also go ahead to sustainableselfdevelopment.com, and there you'll be able to get up to date about everything we'll be doing. At the moment, you can sign up for an upcoming training template we're working on at the moment but we could well come out with some really cool resources about nutrition as well so be sure to check these resources out and with that let's get into this episode all right everybody hopefully um, you can see this broadcast being live but if you don't uh, this will be up on youtube and in podcast version it will be available as well so it doesn't matter that much. So this is our third Q&A with Berge, and uh, we, we have done two webinars, Q&A webinars so far on training and different training methods, and we answered a lot of your training-related questions, and this time we will be talking about nutrition, and um, Berge will be uh, outlining a lot of his nutritional uh, principles that he likes to adhere to these days, and uh, hopefully we will be able to shed a lot of light on these topics to all of you guys and we selected i believe about 15 of your questions so we will see how we will be able to uh, go through all of these so i just want to say one thing uh, before we start out with all of this is that i think that when it comes to nutrition uh, the if it ain't broke don't fix it principle applies at least somewhat so if you're currently feeling great have you're lean it look like the way you look performing great in the gym your digestion is great then you know then just keep doing what you're doing. If you're able to accomplish that by eating McDonald's, then do it. Probably that's not going to be a lot of you, but um, nevertheless, uh, we are only here to help. So that's how the information you will be hearing here should be received, I think. So um, with that, I will be handing the mic now over to Berge. And I would like to just ask you to give a, I don't know, however long of a time you need to just give a short intro into your philosophies about nutrition. Like if we, if someone came to you and asked you, you know, I just want to look good and I want to be healthy, want to have good digestion, kind of as a principle of, well, if confused, if you're not sure, just start here. Like what would be that basic kind of 101 kind of guideline that you would give to that person? So Berge, take it away. Thank you. Um, okay. So this is a question that uh, I'm not going to claim to have all the answers or know the secret or the single truth at all. Uh, so this is just going to be as with the training aspect of things, just sort of a like an evolutionary summary of uh, what I tend to think is closer to the truth. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of completely against the whole religious uh, salutary uh, approach to nutrition where you, you should always do extreme things. Um, but I've sort of been looking through this from the lens of evolution as a human species, but also 
uh, sort of an ancestral perspective that what have we been doing and thriving on for, for the last few generations. And, um, and in modern times, I, I mean, there, there's so many pressures and, and factors and variables involved outside of food that, that sometimes just, just the fact that you're worrying so much about food is, is probably going to be more damaging than actual food could ever be. And, and and I mean, people are so stressed and anxious and 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 worried all the time about how much and what they're eating and and uh, just trying to buy a hack this shit and that shit uh, all the time. And and I think that's sometimes the the main problem. And I have even developed methods on how to handle uh, the process of. Um, of sort of um, entertaining your thoughts so much that it's in itself creating stress and and um, and physiological reactions. I've also been uh, interested in in the circadian rhythm and seasonality aspect of things, where you know we as a human species evolved with uh, daylight and night. I mean cycles of uh, light and dark, um, winters and summers. And uh, I mean, just, just sort of getting back to the rhythm of life that we have evolved on will sometimes fix more problems than whatever exercise or nutritional intervention could ever do. But um, so as a human species, I, I don't think we are that much different. I mean, a gorilla will eat what a gorilla eats, uh, a dog will eat what a dog eats, uh, except for when we feed it, uh, obviously, and, and we feed it the same foods that we eat, and they end up as fat and sick as we do. Uh, but that's, that's a digression. Um, but, but single species of all mammals on Earth have practically the same foods with very minor variations. And I mean, our, our gut and digestive system has evolved through two million years to digest uh, mostly animal foods, uh, simply because um, most of the planet has been covered in ice for, for most of our evolution. Because um, we had an ice age which lasted until, well, not long ago when, when, it, uh, when you look at the whole timeline. I mean, imagine standing at, at uh, one goal of a soccer field. I mean, we're, we're in uh, the, the soccer times now, or football as we say here. Um, and uh, uh, a normal soccer field is about 100 meters long. So imagine this being the start of, um, of humanity, the human race, and the other goal on the other side of the football field being sort of where we are now in modern times. Now, agriculture and, and the domestication of plants and, and the ability to have like um, available foods at all times only started like five to 10,000 years ago, which is the equivalent of walking all through the field to the other goal. Um, and you're just walking and walking and walking and all through this time, we are basically subsisting on, you know, if we could hunt and fish something, we would do that. Whatever plant foods were available were very scarce and very seasonal. Um, and as you get closer to the goal line, the last 10 to 20 centimeters is, is equivalent to the agricultural, uh, agricultural uh, revolution. So we've basically been having access to like grains and, and, and um, unlimited access to like fruits and berries and, and in and outside of season for only like the last 10 centimeters of that whole soccer field of evolution. And I think that kind of sets the tone for 
like what the human race has sort of evolved on. And incidentally, we had the biggest brains and, and the highest bone density 10,000 10, years ago, and it's been rapidly declining since then. Obviously, many factors involved, but I mean, we, we sort of gave up um, the length of a colon in order to be able to process as much nutrients as possible to support our uh, inordin inordinately large brains. Uh, the brain, uh, according to our, I mean, the brain is like two to five percent of our body size, but requires 20 to 25 percent of energy. And in babies, it requires 90 percent of energy, which just speaks for sort of the, the energy intensive brain. And we have a hydrochloric acid based digestive system, small guts with no cecum, intestines that are about five times our body length, just like the wolves and the lions, whereas herbivores have intestines 25 times as long and are filled with a microbiome optimally suited for digesting plants and then converting those plants into fats. So basically we are, we are all fat-based metabolism. I mean, the, the herbivores convert nutrients and fiber into fat, short chain fatty acids, and we do the same thing with plant foods. And so sort of animal and fat-based um, food, as a, I, I think should be as a staple, maybe not all the time consistently, but, but um, I'm going to have to say that, that, that vegans are wrong on this one, basically, that sure, you can survive on it for some time, but I've seen so many vegans just eventually having to resort to some animal-based food simply because they were you know, deficient in some uh, nutrients or, or malnourished. And, and again, any, any vegan, they're, they're very well-informed and knowledgeable and have to uh, use supplements. And if you're doing it for ethical reasons, just go ahead. If you're doing it because you watched the, a Netflix documentary, you should really read some uh, some better you know you should you should uh, gain some better knowledge okay so before the invention of refrigerators or the ability to store grains we would have consumed higher protein higher fat foods in winter when energy from plant food was less available and vice versa uh, rarely did we have a situation where both carbs and fat were, were abundant at the same time and this is sort of the some of the problems with modern foods where we have highly palatable combinations of fats and sugars, and it makes us sort of overeat. Um, I don't think we would ever hunt or scavenge for herbs, herbs and root veggies in order to make culinary creations. I, I think just plant foods would be for susten sustenance during times of scarcity and energy crisis. Um, we also figured out how to prepare food so that we could extract as much nutrients as possible. I'm reading off uh, notes list here, so it's, it's my cheat sheet, uh, while preventing digestive trouble. So cooking, fermentation, sprouting, sourdough, etc. We learned to extract more fat from animals as well and replacing fats from nuts. Incidentally, dogs, uh, wolves turn into dogs simply because we would give them lean meats and then keep the fat ourselves, as uh, like the, um, the Plains Indians would do. Uh, we would have periods of feasting interspersed with famine and hunger. We would eat during daylight hours of the day and not the constant barrage of calories ingested through our artificially created daylight that modern humans live in. And, and this is sort of a situation we are facing now. Uh, and no wild animal or human culture living on its natural diet suffers from chronic disease. Uh, and most people who live in traditional culture don't have any ideologies about diets. They eat what their ancestors have grown through uh, generations and when they introduce modern foods, bad stuff tends to happen. Uh, there are even recent times societies that are still mostly carnivorous, meaning they eat mostly animals and fats. The Inuit, the Maasai, the Plains Indians, Mongolians, the Gauchos, even the Laps and Samis who are a Norwegian, a Norwegian um, people live uh, way up north. 
And the Norwegian explorers Fritjof Nansen and Fredrik Johansen actually lived off seals and polar bears for almost a full year in, back in 1895 when they did their historical walk. And they were just fine. Um, so making sort of sense of all of this, I, I tend to think that as long as you remove the processed foods, the seed oils, the tasty combinations of sugars and fats, the preservatives and additives, and, and basically just remove all the foods that trigger cravings and addictions, you have done 80 to 90% of the work. Um, there are, you know, as, as I've been uh, discussing recently in the Facebook group, I, I, have, um, I have done a ketogenic diet, I have done the zero-carb diet, the carnivore diet, and it tends to just spontaneously heal a lot of diseases for people. And um, uh, the ketogenic diets have, have a long uh, record for neurological diseases and even cancer uh, prevention or not cancer prevention, because that's going to be really difficult to um, to claim. But uh, there have been like spontaneous like healing of ca various cancer types just by restricting carbs and focusing on a real deep ketosis. Obviously not all cancer types, um, but again, the Paleo Medicina Hungary group has been doing a lot of interesting research with, I think it's like four to 5,000 patients where they have seen some pretty impressive clinical outcomes uh, in the last few years. Uh, autoimmune diseases, especially where basically the immune system starts attacking itself. And they seem to think that a lot of this is linked back to gut permeability, uh, basically digestive function. Uh, the lining of the intestines, um, uh, the cells that are breaking down and not being able to, to keep uh, various proteins and immune factors inside the body, but instead it tends to leak into the bloodstream and, and, um, and trigger the immune system and cause all sorts of uh, problems. So um, I, I think the reason for the success of those diets is simply because just a constant barrage of nutrients, maybe even processed foods, and for some people, plant foods uh, can cause problems. Um, I mean, I have some notes here on, on plant foods. I'm not gonna go really deep into that, but there are very individual tolerance to plant foods simply because your gut function doesn't tolerate that. And instead of sort of trying to medicate your way out of that, I do tend to think that just removing it for a while can, uh, help you uh, get better, improve that, and then reintroduce that later on. And this, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced, ties back to the whole seasonality of uh, the human metabolism or, or human organism, where we would go for three to six months out of the year and not have uh, like access to, to, um, to plants that are not even in season. I mean, they can be in season uh, on the other side of the globe and then just being transported uh, several thousand miles, uh, picked in an unripe condition, and then just sort of ripened chemically assisted. I, I think that tends to cause problems for a lot of people susceptible to it through their modern lifestyles. So the overarching theme here is be aware of the seasonality, be aware of the circadian rhythm aspect of things. Uh, we don't have time to dig deeper into that here today. But, but kind of starting to fix the framework first and then moving inside the box into the whole nutrient aspect of things and, and just sort of reset thing and heal things. And sometimes it takes like a higher protein and fat intake and perhaps the complete exclusion of plant foods just to sort of 
heal things up again and then reintroduce them as your metabolic flexibility and carb tolerance and, and glycolytic demands require is it, going to be the best approach you, you can you can do um, and again carb tolerance is highly individual it's even related to the access to heat and, and, uh, and sunlight we we know that cold and also lack of sunlight reduces carb tolerance which makes a fuck ton of sense because our uh, us northerners you know we we tend to be to have um a better response to low carb diet simply because a uh, longer part of the year is, is spent during you know being cold and and having darkness so so again just just be aware what did your ancestors eat the last not just the two to three generations but maybe for the last 10 to 20 generations in the area you live in or your ancestors lived in that's going to take care of most of this stuff and and uh if you've been constantly bombarding your body with high carb foods you're probably going to need to go through an, a keto adaptation maybe even a zero carb approach for at least four to six weeks lose weight if you have a lot of body weight to lose and and this will ev eventually like reset a lot of things in your body it will reintroduce metabolic flexibility which is the ability to seamlessly switch from using fat and ketones for fuel and using glucose for fuel and, and this sort of metabolic flexibility is broken if you haven't been keto adapted, uh, you know, since you were uh, a baby, because we are sort of born with uh, the ability to switch into ketosis very quickly. Um, and and the, one of the most important things for ad libitum dieting and a sustainable diet is, is restoring leptin sensitivity. First order of things is losing weight, losing body weight, since that's going to dry down leptin and it's going to restore the brain's sensitivity to that very important hormone. But the so called adipostat, which is the ability to auto-regulate food intake according to your physical needs instead of blood glucose excursions or boredom or you know stress is, is probably also going to require a period without any carbs and a ketogenic diet seems to be very um uh, very effective at restoring that cns based leptin sensitivity uh various neuroendocrine dysfunctions and even mitochondrial biogenesis uh the mitochondria, which is sort of the powerhouse of the cell, and, and dysfunctions there are tied into uh, uh, both uh, premature death and disease. And, and modern society with, again, the barrage of uh, the world we live in tend to sort of uh, destroy our mi mitochondrial function. It seems to be very central for both, not only health, but also longevity. So that was a ranty uh, way of uh, trying to summarize my thoughts on the topic. But I basically, I've been on vegan diets, I've been on zero carb carnivore diets, and I've worked with so many people throughout the years that I, I had to sort of try to find models to explain what I saw and, and why things didn't work as expected in myself and my clients. And, and this is sort of the approach I have gradually uh, arrived at, where as a base, I think you should have a lot of animal-based foods, unprocessed animal-based, you know, animal meat and fat. But you should also have in-season plant foods, fruits and berries, according to your needs and, and, uh, and individual tolerance. And uh, obviously, the needs is going to be dictated not only by your body fat percentage and body weight and, and goals, fat loss versus muscle gain, but also how hard are you training and how intensive are you training and how long are you training and how often are you training? So I hope that made any sense at all. 
No, that was perfect. Uh, I think you managed to pack a fuck ton of information to within a pretty short time frame. So kudos for that. And um, yeah, so that was a really cool kind of intro. And with that, let's try and answer some questions. And um, yeah, hopefully all of the answers in the light of what you could just hear will make more sense to those of you listening. So uh, let's start with question number one. Um, so a lot of people have heard about your carnivore diet experiment and perhaps a lot of um, listeners here have heard the podcast episode we've done together or have read your book. And the question is, how did your views on the optimal setup for a carnivore diet change ever since your uh, consultation with the Paleo Medicina Hungary? Well, the, the main uh, and the reason I contacted them was because I, I started feeling not so good on, on the carnivore diets. Um, and I, uh, after discussing this with them through messages, I, I figured, well, their approach is like a two-to-one ratio in, in fat versus protein. And uh, the first phase is basically eating ad libitum, I mean, to hunger. Eat when you're hungry, eat to fullness, and then see where you end up and, and see if you end up being weight stable at a certain calorie um, or, or food amount. They don't like to talk about calories. And what I discovered from that experience was that the leaner meats that we tend to have here in Norway um, and eating to hunger on those uh, made my protein intake around 250 to 300 grams per day. And over time, that tended to mess with my blood sugar levels and, um, and insulin levels. I had ranging from high blood, glu- blood glucose, like morning fasting blood glucose to really low. And it would like go super crazy low during the night. And I would have periods of like moodiness and lethargy. And so I, I just wanted to sort of figure out what, what happened. And, and they just told me out, outright that I had like a mild symptom of rabbit starvation, which for those of you don't know, uh, comes from uh, the hunt- Alaskan hunters, I think, like several decades ago when uh, they would eat the super lean rabbits they could uh, hunt because there were no other animals available. Uh, the lack of fat would lead to nutrient deficiencies and, and an excess protein intake and, and eventually make them feel really bad. So within this context, the high protein diet, like eating super high protein was not very conducive to any outcomes for me. So I, I have been trying out their recommendations and eating a lot more fat uh, and my protein would end up around 100 to 150 grams per day, depending on the day would fluctuate a lot uh, naturally. I did lose more weight. Um, I did get a lot leaner. Uh, and I will say outright that this type of diet, animal and animal meat and fat-based diet is probably the easiest diet to get really lean and stay there. Um, but I have also figured out that, that something in between those ratios seemed to work better for me as a guy lifting weights and because and I, I I suspected without being able to measure it accurately uh, that I have perhaps lost a little muscle mass that could also be because I was sort of getting overly focused on losing body fat so I, I perhaps didn't eat enough on some days um, but it did tend to you know it did improve my mood it did improve my sleep it, it basically improved a lot of things just getting my protein into that moderate range and obviously saved me a lot of money <laughs> since fat is really cheap and and meat is uh, very expensive and, and so i think um at least for me i i learned that 
keeping protein around maybe 140 to 200 grams per day is sort of going to be the sweet spot for me. Um, but but sort of reconciling my thoughts on the whole thing, I think the exclusion of plants and fruits and veggies and carbs is is not going to be needed unless you have problems controlling your insulin and blood glucose. Uh, and for me, there also seems to be like a sweet spot for carbs on workout days. I can obviously eat more, but I went through the trouble of not only measuring blood glucose one and two hours after every meal, but I also uh, tried a continuous glucose monitoring system and just basically ate different types of food and saw what it did to my blood sugars. And there are certain carbs and certain amounts that, that tend to be a sweet spot for me where blood glucose stays stable and I just feel great. Whereas uh, eating more than that, or like eating a lot of rice and potatoes and, and very like carb dense foods, uh, tend to make my blood sugar swing wildly and make me feel not so great and, and have tendencies to cravings. So I guess I'm sort of back full circle <laughs> and, and just having like moderate everything, which sounds really fucking boring to most because we all we're all attracted to extreme approaches. But um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say, and both the vegans and the zero carbers are right, because I think I, I, I do think within the seasonality aspect of things, and it's it's midsummer here and hot and warm and sunny, and and having some carbs just feel instinctively right for me. So I do have some of them on, on my workout days. On some days I just don't feel like it, and I eat just all bacon and eggs and, and avocados and that kind of stuff. Um, but but. Uh, I do think it has sort of tended to normalize a lot of things and, and just enabled me to stay way leaner than before without even trying. Awesome. Uh, that was great. And um, so since you like to, to go on a little bit of a tangent, the, the next question will be pretty good for that because it's a pretty big one about... Um, no, 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 but we, we all like it. Um, next one is a pretty big one on uh, nutrient timing, uh, or not nutrient timing, sort of uh, structuring your meals to optimize circadian rhythms. So I know that you like to experiment with having, let's say, a bigger breakfast and then tapering off meals as the day go by or vice versa. I know that you tried a lot of different things. So what's sort of your approach with regards to that? And maybe then you can also touch on how that ties into meal frequency, perhaps time-restricted feeding, um, and maybe how all of this modifies your recommendations for the optimal time to train. Because traditionally, um, you, li you liked recommending uh, working out in the afternoon or early evening. So that's a lot of points, but just some stuff you can touch on in there. Okay, I'll see if I can make some sense here. Um, the, the, there are, you know, studies looking at both sides of the coin. And, and again, like big breakfasts and, and small dinners and vice versa. And um, I think it's the answer is going to depend a lot on how metabolically flexible you are and when you're training and whether you lean or not and, and whether you have a good carb tolerance or not because all of these studies are confounded by using overweight people and and you know it, it's kind of all over the place and i have tried the big breakfast thing and the main benefit of that is from like the circadian uh, the circadian research it, it it's um there are advantages to synchronizing foods with daylight. And so starting off the day, it doesn't need to be jump right out of bed and, and, and grab a, a breakfast or protein shake or, or bacon and egg sandwich or something. 
but I would say probably within a couple of hours, you should you should have some breakfast. It doesn't have to be a big meal at all. But but the benefit seems to be that having a big breakfast increases the spontaneous activity level, especially in obese people. And I did notice for me as well, um, depending on on what foods I ate, I would feel full. Like for instance, nowadays, since I'm training early and I have a big meal post-workout, I only have two meals per day, simply because that, that meal is huge and, and I'm not hungry until like four or five o'clock. So then I have my last meal and that's also huge and I don't feel like eating anymore. Uh, and I find the meal frequency of two to three to work very well for most people, especially if you want to control your calories or an appetite. And that also seems to be the main benefit of time-restricted feeding. It makes it easier to control your calories. Um, and, and it also provides like a stronger input to the circadian rhythm, um, where you want strong inputs from both lights. You want strong daylight, and you want dim light in the evenings. You don't want strong lights then. Uh, you want to move and be active during the day, and you don't want to like do a high-intensity training session at 10 o'clock, because that's going to disrupt your sleep. Uh, I know you might feel tired afterwards and feel like you sleep well, but when you measure actual sleep uh, quality, it, it suffers a lot. So there's like timing to everything here. And, and um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to force people to, to eat a lot of food for breakfast if they just don't feel like it. But in the studies, they have noticed that um, it takes 12 days to retrain yourself to a bigger meal early in the day. And after that, all the participants actually reported that, that they enjoyed it a lot. Um, some people say, well, if I eat a lot of calories for breakfast, I just end up eating a lot more foods later in the day. That doesn't seem to be the case as long as you have adapted to it. It, it actually tends to be the opposite. The reason why some studies show a posting result is because you're changing meal timing. You're changing a lot of stuff at the same time. And, and the change in stuff is more detrimental than the actual timing. So my, my current view is, is that you should probably have most of your, your food within an eight to 10 hour window, up to 12 hours, two to three meals if you want to control your calories and you need to control your calories because you have a hard time doing that. If you have a hard time eating enough, you should probably have four meals and some snacks in between. And you can probably also extend your eating window for that purpose. But again, for disease prevention, for metabolic inflexibility, and, and, and a lot of uh, when, when things have gone wrong, restricted feeding or, um, or time-restricted feeding uh, tends to have um, a, a pretty significant effect according to recent research. And I, I think the, the, all the car backloading and, and um, again, I, I mean, the, the whole uh, intermittent fasting uh, people who skip breakfast, eat a late lunch, and have their last meal like at midnight, they all tend to go to bed way past midnight. I mean, even Martin Birkin and his most productive posts online are, are written like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. And, and I mean, he can get away with that. And men are used to be like that as well. But, but um, I, I think, and we know that sleep is so incredibly important to all of this. Whatever we want to do, whether it be get bigger or get leaner, we need to get our sleep in, and that sleep needs to be of high quality. That the whole circadian rhythm, rhythm aspect of things just makes it easier to achieve that deep sleep during the night. And, and uh, having more energy and higher activity levels 
spontaneous activity levels like without having to be consciously moving around sort of thing uh, during the day daytime. So skipping breakfast can be fine and for a long time in some people, but, but if, if that tends to make you eat a lot more calories later in the day, not so much. Having more foods around your workouts, that's going to be big. So let's say you have a baseline of like um, substantial breakfast and a slightly smaller dinner. If you train later, that dinner is going to be huge as well, simply because you created a, a, a sink for incoming calories and the demand for incoming calories. So, so now the breakfast, maybe it's going to be just the same size, but the dinner is going to be way larger simply because you need those calories to uh, support recovery and muscle growth. Um, and even though there are guys getting away with like OMAD, which is one meal a day and, and even training in the morning and eating the big meal at night and growing muscle and getting leaner and all that, just based sort of on experience and, and my thoughts on the matter, I think having, you know, like a substantial calorie load within a couple of hours post-workout is, is, is going to be a good idea no matter when that workout is. Uh, again, according to circadian rhythm stuff, you tend to perform better in, in the afternoon. Um, and that's generally speaking, because for myself, I use my brain so much during the day that I'm basically just exhausted. And also from watching uh, uh, a, a kid that's just now learning to crawl around and, and uh, you know, destroy stuff. So, so for me, my best workouts are in the morning when, when he's, you know, barely awake or just awake and, and uh, my girlfriend can watch him and uh, just get in my workout. My pre-workout meal now is like three eggs and a teaspoon of honey. I go to the gym, have my sustainable self-development uh, training in and uh, go home, eat a large meal. And then I have like my dinner at 4 or 5 p.m. And that's for me a very sustainable approach that... I'm not hungry during the evenings at all. I have no cravings. I feel energetic until like eight o'clock because it takes like two to three hour, hours for that meal to sort of um, digest properly, insulin levels to drop and, and basically the body to slow down. So um, it, it has improved sleep quality a lot and I'm just tired as fuck at 10 p.m. And, and if I go to, to bed then and, and when my son is quiet, then uh, we all get a good night's sleep. Um, and I think that was it. I think that covered yeah. it all. Yeah, it did. No, and it's actually perfect because we had a lot of good questions, but actually you answered a lot already uh, indirectly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, a good question, uh, which is what are your top tips for dealing with bloating? Close to my heart. <laughs> with blo bloating? Oh, yeah. Stop eating veggies for a while, stop eating plant foods, uh, the zero-carb diet, carnivore approach, but I would advise now, if I were to rewrite the book, having more fats compared to proteins. Um, watch your sodium intake for a while, and since both sunlight and heat can increase uh, like water retention, you might have to stay out of the sun if you know for a day before some photo shoot or whatever, but, but like bloating in general is caused by digestive um, upset and, and just your gut function being suboptimal. So, so I would really look into, first of all, just reducing the, the load on, on the digestion and, and then, then just sort of try to repair things. And, and again, deferring to paleo medicina where they have 
you know, they have this uh, gut permeability test and, and they actually see things just improving on a weekly basis when they eat their type of approach and just the more plant foods and nuts and, and uh, grains and even alcohol you introduce to the mix, uh, the longer time it takes for that gut permeability to improve. So for some people, you might have to just sort of stay on this approach for maybe up to six to eight weeks and then gradually reintroduce foods and see how you feel on them. And, and don't expect to, like like a lot of clients that I did this with, they, they introduced like immediate improvements. I mean, they could suddenly eat foods that they could not eat before. Uh, some people would have to reintroduce that food in small amounts and gradually build up to it. The same way you can actually, um, you can actually, um, like for some people that are very sensitive to uh, to dairy products, if you just reintroduce yogurt or kefir, like one tablespoon at a time, then then you can gradually adapt to to tolerate those. So we we are incredibly adaptive and, and able to to tolerate a lot of foods. And uh, the reason why we lose that ability is probably because we're constantly bombarding our guts with it, and we're not taking a break from eating a lot uh, eating, you know, a period. We, we're just eating constantly. And we're not taking a, a break from eating all types of food all the time, simply because we have so much access to it. So just removing some of that for some time. And, and I mean, the, 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 the most digestible food you can eat is meat and fat. I mean, we even, I remember back in school when we did these experiments where we recreated uh, like stomach, um, stomach acid uh, or the stomach fluid. And we just dropped pieces of meat, we dropped pieces of corn, bread, just different types of foodstuffs in there. And the next day when we came back in class, the only glass that was completely, you know, uh, transparent was the one with the meat. Because all the meat had just completely dissolved. And we also know this from people that have to, um, uh, what's the word for it, when you have to have like the, um, the bag on your, uh, like the pouch on your belly. Like you have to take your intestine because your intestinal health or, or you have some stomach ulcers or something and yeah. you have to have sort of ileostomy bag or whatever it's called on the outside and you can actually see food stuff passing through. Uh, and what, what these patients report is that, well, they see a lot of fiber and plant matter moving through there, but you never see pieces of meat moving through there, which means that this is digested very readily early in the intestine. So... Yeah. Yeah, resort to the most digestible foods, remove any confounding, you, you know, you can, you can view this as a very extreme elimina elimination diet and then just gradually introduce food groups and foods and see how you feel. Uh, allow three to five days, see how you feel on that. And, um, and, and I mean, even the fermented uh, uh, foods and the probiotics and all that stuff, I, I, would, I would actually wait until you have reset things because we, we don't know enough about the microbiome to, to tell whether do we actually need these bacteria to be well or, or do we need them to digest the foods that require them. And just removing all of those foods and sort of going back to zero and then sort of reintroducing foods and retraining the ability to tolerate and digest those foods and, and perhaps concurrently repairing the, like a, a gut permeability or something can... can you know that that might be able to to uh, eliminate a lot of the digestive issues that people have, and and obviously in addition to managing your lifestyle and your stress, because it's it's been proven that a lot of food intolerances are simply caused by people worrying so much about that food, that their immune system is actually creating a response 
like that food is actually dangerous to you simply because you believe it to be. So yeah. there's a huge psychological component in this. Yeah, just uh, for people who might be reluctant to try out a carnivorous approach, like um, before you embarked on this experiment, were there certain things that you tried here and there and helped sometimes when you needed to alleviate, alleviate some acute bloating uh, that were more successful than other strategies? Wow, I mean, I tried it all and I can't say that any of them were successful. I mean, I went through the whole probiotic, all types of supplements, uh, prebiotics. I did the fermented foods. I, 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 I did the high plant. Uh, I did the uh, FODMAPs, the low FODMAP diet. I even eliminated all of the moderate and high FODMAPs and, and ate only low FODMAPs. I ate only rice for a while uh, and, and, and minor amounts of, of just berries and, and still suffered. And, and uh, I listened to speeches of some of the top like gut experts and professors in the world, even a Norwegian one, and, and tried it uh, like eating oatmeal for all meals and even boiled oatmeal and soaked oatmeal and, and kefir and yogurt cultures. And you wouldn't believe I've tried it all. And, and the only thing that really helped was eliminating all of it and then reintroducing it. Yeah. Yeah, like one thing that I can tell from experience there is that when you're deep in the woods with bloating, then it's really hard to just eliminate one thing and expect results. Like um, when I was done with my carnivore diet experiment, I, I did it for almost three months, actually. And after that, I, I introduced some strawberries, well, some, a lot of strawberries, uh, probably more than what was reasonable at one go. You indulged in strawberries, like you told me. <laughs> yeah, I indulged in strawberries. But I was completely fine and like no bloating whatsoever. Everything was completely fine. Whereas before when I was, I had these pregnant nine month pregnant lady periods when I was just bloated to the max. And then I tried to go with only strawberries as carb sources or something. I was equally bloated. So when you're deep in the woods, then just tweaking your fiber source, sometimes that's just won't cut it. But no. yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it would vary so much from day to day that you couldn't even tell what, what's what's causing it, what's uh, alleviating it. And, and uh, there would be like no, no connection to anything. I, I couldn't make sense of it at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so let's see. There was a, a good question uh, about how do, you, how do you listen to your hunger on a zero-carb approach, um, which is sort of a, a question that doesn't make sense, but on the other hand, it does make a lot of sense because on a carb-based diet, it's really clear-cut. Like you're either hungry or you're not, or like it's, it's on and off kind of. And on a zero-carb diet or just on a very high-fat, lower-carb diet, you can go so long without food and you're never really hungry, but you just kind of get low energy. And this person also said that, I think it was, I think it was Zach, but I could be wrong. Um, he also said that... W if he waits until that point when he is just low on energy and then he starts eating, then it will take a long time until that energy sort of hits his system. So uh, what would you say to that? Yeah, I, I think generally I, I try to, to have consistent meal times, but I have, you know, tried to be like smart and, and eat smaller meals because I wanted to lose fat or see if I could lean out more or do calorie cycling or whatever. And I just ended up being moody and cranky. And again, if, if you're in doubt, just eat. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really that simple. It, even if it's just having a snack or something, if, if that immediately improves your mood, then yeah, you were doing something right. You were actually in need of food. But, but yeah, I, I know it's tricky. And, and that, that's sort of the main strength of uh, keto adaptation and, and adapting to this type of diet that 
you retrain the brain to to listen to actual physiological hunger cues like your body fat stores and, and body fat mobilization and energy availability. Uh, whereas on the carb-based diet, you're just constantly a slave to the blood glucose excursions. So, so just from that perspective alone, I, I think everyone should go through like a keto adaptation period, and then reintroduce carbs. And um, but, but I, I think it's, it's just sort of if if you if you stop being OCD about calories and when and how much to eat, you will quickly learn this within a couple of days. Because I mean, if if I'm just really um, aware of how much I need to eat versus logging and thinking I should eat this much, then you know the first approach is always going to win. And and if you make any sort of mistake, I mean, if if you just sort of, well, I didn't eat enough, then you will sort of immediately, not immediately, but after only a few hours, you will you will definitely notice that then instead of waiting until you actually know and then perhaps end up overeating or just becoming uh, like a monster or something, then uh, at least that's what my girlfriend calls me when, when I'm in that mood, uh, then just eat. And my girlfriend has been going through the same type of diet and I would sit there and watch her and, and see her kind of thinking and okay, I, can only, I, sh I should only eat like two eggs and some bacon and, and not too much avocado. And like three hours later, oh my God, I could really have a piece of chocolate now. Oh my God, don't those brownies look delicious? And it's like, I was going to tell you, you, your breakfast was, you know, that's not going to cut it. You're going to have to eat more. You're going to have to dare to actually eat more. And, and, and again, this, this is related to a question that I have been, you know, I, I got this question like repeatedly from the same person in the group. I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but it's so apparent that she's been chronically under eating for many years or, or at least a very long time trying to lose weight that way and and um, just the whole restrictive mindset and well I can't eat this much fat and and I have to sort of control and restrict and and this this one day when I tried to eat to hunger I just ended up eating a lot of food and it was that much calories and that's not going to make me lose weight etc etc and, and you can just tell the like like the whole neuroticism from the text that this is someone who needs to actually maybe even consciously overeat to recalibrate their hunger signaling and, and through this diet for maybe up to six to eight weeks and also increase their metabolism because chronically under eating something just makes the whole metabolism slow down and um, sort of retrain the body to, to both mobilize and burn off fatty acids um, when you're getting hungry. So that, again, the energy availability is, is a sum of the stored body fat on your body and the incoming calories from the foods. And if there's an imbalance there, uh, combined with not having sort of a reset brain or, or leptin sensitivity and the ability to, uh, like the metabolic flexibility I, I talked about earlier, then, then yeah, you, you're probably going to have to overeat and, and feel the need to overeat at least for a few days. But but. If you trust the process, I've been doing this for so many years, and it's always girls that have to go through the phase of, of being forced to eat more calories than they think they need. And, and, and I have countless of stories of, of girls telling me, well, I restricted 1,500, 1,200 calories. I can't lose any weight. And then after like four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks, sometimes, sometimes it takes that long, they are now losing weight and body fat at 2,000 and 2,500 calories even for some, some uh, girls.
And it's, it's not like a physiological miracle. It's, it's simply because you need to move away from the whole black box uh, model where it's calories in, calories out. Uh, you have to consider what's going on inside of this black box, and this black box obviously being your own body, where the, the body will sort of uh, partition the calories and nutrients and, and use fats or, or have the fats stay there and use glucose instead and, 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 and sort of manipulate things according to how healthy it is on the inside. And it's going to be very unhealthy if, you, if you've had a, a, like a restrictive uh, approach and, and mindset to foods for a long time and you're constantly stressing and worrying about it. So, so yeah, it, it, it's going to take a while. You, you're going to have to actually feel like you're force feeding for a while and then, and then. I mean, I, I've seen it uh, a lot of times in, in the zero carb Facebook groups. Um, it's it's uh, 95% of the time is women and girls. And they're saying, oh, no, I'm, I feel like I need to eat all the time. I don't get the hunger suppressing effects that everyone is bragging about, and I'm gaining weight. And these are always women with a history of uh, yo-yo dieting and re restriction. And for those who actually stick to it, they will gain weight for a while, but then they will suddenly start losing a lot of weight. And they will drop way below what uh, they gained when they started and then keep losing weight. And so there's some sort of repair going on, and I don't ascribe it to a meat-based diet at all. I ascribe it to having sufficient calories for a sufficient amount of time. And both you and I know, know about this, Abel. I mean, we have both been through this whole restrictive mindset, eternal dieting uh, kind of yeah. thing where everything just slows down. I mean, the metabolism slows down. You, the hormones don't function as well as they should anymore, and just looking at the brownie from the wrong angle will make you gain weight and that's not a good place to be in. So just sticking to at least maintenance calories and, and, pro and probably also slightly above for, for a while and, and making sure that the body is at an optimal place and, and at the same time having like a, a, a balanced approach to the, to the nutrient uh, or nutrition time of things. Um, uh, just to repair things, then you can start to consider losing body fat and, and body weight. And, and that's basically the story of my last five to 10 years of, of doing this. I now feel like I can unconsciously just lose body fat effortlessly and, and sustainably and, and not feel like I'm restricting or, uh, or, or have to avoid anything. Just all sorts of cravings for carb foods and, and, and junk foods ha has just disappeared eating this way for a sufficiently amount of time. And making sure that I don't undereat and, and respect my, uh, my my cues, the, the hunger cues. Yeah, no, that was beautiful. And with that, with that, would you actually say that uh, when you you're really trying to get lean fast, or you're trying to introduce this, or you're, you're, you you want to try out a carnivore type diet, then perhaps it's best to first not bother with fat loss necessarily, but first just eat enough and kind of go through the adaptation period and like you know, learn to run on fats and those sorts of things and then think about fat loss after some period? Well, not for everyone, but for those who have been calorie restricting or, or being on diets for a long time, yes. I would, I would make sure that the first two to four weeks that you're actually eating enough foods and, and not consciously restricting anything at all. And then you can start to sort of, because that will sort of reset things and, and allow you to trust hunger uh, in a better way, it might have to require you to, to count calories even to make sure you're eating enough. I, I know I had to. Um, but but for most people, just 
you know, I, I've just seen all of these uh, stories from people just that just started eating meat uh, and, and meat and fat-based diets. I, I would actually tend to gravitate towards a higher fat-to-protein ratio in grams, based on my experience with with that. Um, and 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 uh, eating ad libitum, meaning to to hunger and uh, to satiety. Um, that just seems to make a lot of people lose weight effortlessly without even trying. So most people should probably be fine doing that. But if you've been through the whole yo yo dieting uh, side of things and just consciously restricting and have a very like neurotic uh, perspective on your own, like body dysmorphia or, or anorexia or, or those type of things, you should probably almost feel like you're force feeding and, and count calories and see that you're actually eating at maintenance and slightly above yes awesome well um Berge, we actually went for like an hour um we still have a few questions we still have a few questions that we didn't go over so i don't know maybe we can record another like shorter one like in a week or something and uh... yeah and, and i believe there's probably going to be a lot of follow-up uh, questions to to this one as well so I hope it's okay with you guys that ask these questions that you wait one more week. Um, there's also a lot of questions in the Facebook group and I do answer some of them, but some of them also belong in the Q&A so that more people can, uh, can get help from that. Um, and I'm also gonna say, uh, like, like we also discussed that, that there are going to be skeptics, there are going to be people saying that this is wrong or this or the other expert or studies as another thing. But keep in mind that the name of this group is Sustainable Self-Development and our main purpose is to help people who have tried it all and, and have, you know, they have no results or, or basically not the expected results to show from it. And they're struggling because of their lifestyles and, and uh, uh, you know, optimal meets uh, life, uh, as it usually does. And, and since our intent is mainly to help them, uh, sometimes you guys just going to have to trust that I've been doing my due diligence. And I have weighed both pros and cons. And I've read thousands of studies and discussed and listened to all types of experts and authorities on, on this topic. And... And the reason why I've approached this, or, or I've, I've, I find myself being sort of in the middle, is because the extreme approaches only work for a short amount of time. And you can always find a study or expert to contradict our views, but the view is based on a more sustainable approach that will fit most people. And if you have some serious disease, or, or you're just, or you're using steroids and drugs, or you're, uh, you know, outlier, then, okay, maybe this is not gonna apply to you, but most people are gonna get a lot of help from this. So, so please don't make me waste a lot of time picking apart single studies or expert opinions, because I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna play that game at all. I hope that doesn't piss off too many people, but if it does, I don't care, honestly, I don't care. Because it, it, it's gonna help, if it's gonna help 99 people and there's one pissed off guy, then sorry you're just gonna have to you know hate me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i thought you were i thought you were going to finish that sentence in a different way <laughs> you're just gonna have to I thought so too but i looked out <laughs> on the view here and i figured out let's not waste this Damn. beautiful evening on something as trivial as uh 
holy shit that's hate <laughs> oh wow that's that's amazing yeah. um yeah i mean that's why it, the in the intro of my podcast i recorded this funny spot where i was basically making fun of the guy whose main mission is to just micromanage the hell out of everything and i kind of responded to that hypothetical person by saying that in this podcast and in this community we only micromanage things to the extent that it, it is actually serving us so uh, and i think what you said just speaks of that so yeah uh, i think uh, this was a really cool and really productive uh, q a so uh Berge, i want to thank you for your time and you guys also for your questions and yeah so we will make an effort to record another one then perhaps next week and we will go over the questions which we couldn't answer in this one and then if you have follow-ups uh, we will see how those fit in into that q a as well so yeah, as um, soon as I will post the event and uh, you can just bombard us with questions and we will get through as many of them as possible. It's the same thing as the Q&A number one, where I had to go into my whole perspective on training and then Q&A number two, where I could actually start answering a lot of questions. It's going to be the same thing now. I had to spend like 20, 25 minutes just, you know, let, you know, describing my perspective on things and, and then we can dig into a, a lot more questions. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in for today. I hope you enjoyed this and uh, see you all next time. See you all. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, if you haven't checked it out already, be sure to visit the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group at facebook.com slash sustainable self-development. And if you haven't done it already, visit sustainableselfdevelopment.com to be up to date with everything that we've got going on there. All right, thank you for hanging on up until now and see you in the next episode.